You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Stories influence, teach, and inspire us. But what about the storytellers who create them? Uncorking a Story profiles storytellers to uncover how their background and life experiences influence the stories they create. We learn what motivates them, their path to success, and what fuels them to keep creating. It all starts by asking one simple question. Where does your story begin? Welcome to Uncorking a Story. Now here's your host, Mike Carlin. So hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I'm excited to introduce you to May Cobb. May earned her MA in literature from San Francisco State University, and her essays and interviews have appeared in the Washington Post. The Rumpus, Edible Austin, which sounds like uh, sounds like a, a marijuana thing, but maybe we'll talk more about that. And Austin Monthly, uh, May joins me today to talk about her latest novel, My Summer Darlings, which has been called a potent cocktail of desire and deceit. That is a great, um, great uh, endorsement, I think. Uh, it makes me want to read it anyway. Uh, May, welcome to Uncorking a Story. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. I'm so uh, I'm so honored to be here. And I'm honored to have you here. And I'm going to ask you the same question I ask everybody um, to begin, which is, uh, May, where does your story as an author begin? Yes, it begins way back in about the year 1995. And I was a college kid at the University of Texas taking a class in jazz appreciation. To make a very long story short, one day the professor puts on this song. And it was so haunting and compelling to me that I raced to the record store afterwards and I bought the man's music. His name's Rossan Roland Kirk. And uh, he was a jazz musician. He was blind from the age two on from an accident, but he taught himself to play three saxophones at the same time to a uh, beautiful effect. And I became obsessed with his story and he died on my fourth birthday. So I never got to meet him, but I, I kind of dropped everything and traveled around the country um, trying to speak to as many people that were still alive that knew him. That's really what set me on the path was just this burning need to get this man's story out there. And I'm still working on that book 25 years later, which is ridiculous, but I'm hoping to finish it in the new year. I mean, there's so many things I like about that story. Um, one, of course, is how you just let your curiosity kind of fuel um, fuel this. Um, and I think authors, um, we're, we're nothing if not curious. Um, you you kind of have to be. You have to have a, a natural curiosity about people to to you know take the time to to write stories. Um, but before I pontificate on that anymore, what I really love about that story is the fact that you went to a record store. Uh, you know, after, after class and, and I, you know, you're probably around the same age. I used to live in record stores. I mean, I remember on the weekends, just, that's what I would do. I would go to a bookstore and, and hang out and, and, and sift through books. And I'd go to record stores and, and talk to whoever worked there about you know, new releases, bands, stuff like that. And that is something my kids 
you know, God bless them. I have three 20 year olds at home. They're, they'll never have that experience, you know, of, of kind of sifting through the, the stacks and looking at albums or tapes or CDs or anything. Yes, it was a real magical thing, right, of discovery, because, yeah, there was the billboard charts and stuff like that, but there was so much you could find that, you know, no one's ever heard of or that you've never heard of. I, yeah, I miss, I miss that, too. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would lose hours of time. Um, so what, um, so after graduating college, after you said University of uh, Texas, um, what, what was your career? What did you do? What did, what did you do when you, when you grew up? Um, yeah, I, so I, I kind of bounced around a bunch of odd jobs. I, I did go get like my graduate degree in literature, but then I went, I moved to Hollywood and a, a, my dear friend got me a job as a personal assistant. So I did that for a couple of years for um, a director and uh, actress, husband, wife combo. That was fabulous. And then I came back to Austin because I really did want to, you know, kind of hunker down and write and Austin's got such a great music scene but yeah, really just, you know, odd jobs to pay the bills while trying to pursue the dream and had a kid along the way, married the boy next door, that kind of stuff happens. <laughs> I imagine your time as a personal assistant in Hollywood for that husband, wife, actor, director combo plate, um, that, that must be some fertile ground for some storytelling. Yeah, that's interesting you say that because I, I'm starting to think about the next thriller I'm going to write and it's going to be loosely based on that time. Except the cool. novel will be a lot more evil. My people were so wonderful and lovely. But yeah, it was it was interesting to be dropped in that world. Yeah, it's a, it's a different world. I, I spent a little bit of time in, in Southern California um, trying to live there and, um, you know, doing what people do, you know, and uh it's, it's a different, it's a different atmosphere, certainly very different from, you know, my, my, you know, frame of reference, which is the East coast, you know, the Northeast. So different. Yes. Well, tell me, um, uh, tell me about writing your first novel. I imagine, um, you know, cause we will talk about my summer darlings, I promise, but, but I'm curious, um, what, what, what are some of the big lessons you learned, you know, when, when penning your first, uh, first novel? First one is that you can uh, write a novel in a year uh, in stolen moments. So 15 minutes, grab it, write something. 30 minutes, grab it, write something. I, my son was three then and it was, uh, he's, he's on the autism spectrum and it was a pretty challenging time in our lives. But, you know, if my husband was giving him a bath or whatever, I would just sit down and force myself to write. And I think as long as you keep the story in your subconscious, even if you can't, go on a writer's retreat or, you know, spend five hours a day, like it will add up if you just pick away at it. And I was able to finish that novel in a year, much to my surprise. Um, so yeah, I think that's the big thing. I think there's a myth that you do have to have all these bottomless hours, but those are actually the enemy to me. <laughs> I find myself less productive when I have all day. I just stay on social media like a fool. So yeah, I love that notion of stolen moments because um, I think there's this notion of writers having to lock themselves in a room for, you know, 12, 14, 18 hours at a time and yeah. drinking nothing but coffee and, you know, some kind of stimulant to keep them up. But you can do it with stolen moments. I love that notion. Thanks. Yeah, it, it's just true. And as a, as a parent, like that, sometimes you, that's what that's all you have. <laughs> <laughs> I have to ask because I'm, I'm staring at a picture over your left shoulder, and if I'm not mistaken, that's Link from Legend of Zelda, is it not? 
Yay. You're the only person that's ever noticed that. I'm so impressed. I, I have a tendency to do these things, um, which is why I like to think my interviews are a lot different than, than everyone else's. But what's the backstory to having Link on your wall? So my best friend and I were obsessed with Zelda growing up. Like, you know, uh, elbows shiny from being on the carpet like all summer long. And, and when I was writing... Um, the Hunting Wives, my second novel, she flew in from LA and she brought this to me and it says, it's dangerous to go alone, take this. So it's sort of like, and she really, she's my first reader and responder. So it was kind of having her like, you know, in the room with me trying to write. I lost probably an entire summer playing that video game <laughs> on Nintendo. Me and my friend, Nick, because if you remember, it came with a big map and you needed yeah. the map, you needed the map to find out, you know, where you'd place the bombs. And yeah. we had like a little formula. We had a little ruler because wherever the bomb was on the map, you needed to like go over a few inches. It wasn't like perfect. So we yeah. literally spent, I don't know how many months trying to beat that game. And then when you beat the game, it flips and you have to start all over again in another adventure. Yes. Which, um, Yes, hours, hours. It was the best like digital nanny my mother could have ever come up with because yeah, same for us. We had all these charts and notes and graphs and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, no, that's so funny. Look at that, Legend of Zelda. Who knew? Who knew we were going to talk about Legend of Zelda? I certainly didn't before that. Um, well, what can you tell me about My Summer Darlings? I know that is uh, your latest release. Um, and, and I know, as I teased before, a potent cocktail of desire and deceit. Um, but tell me, uh, what can you tell me about the book? Yeah, so it's basically uh, centers around three lifelong best friends. And it's set over the course of a, like a scorching summer in Texas. It's in a small little town in, up in East Texas, which is like this sort of heavily forested, eerie area. But sort of a, a cool area because it's um, got a lot of oil money. So there's wealth. So basically it's, Big Little Lies, but maybe a little um, bitchier. And it's in Texas, so there's more booze and crazy women. And a handsome stranger moves into town, and the three of them become obsessed with him. And as sort of a, I was inspired by the movie The Witches of Eastwick. Um, oh, yeah. Cher, um, was it Cher, Bette Midler? Cher, no, it was a Cher, Susan Sarandon. Okay. And um, Michelle Pfeiffer. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah, that brings me. Oh, Jack Nicholson was in that too, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I loved that whole like, uh, you know, friendship getting tested by a man and what really is his story um, and obsession and, you know, adults behaving badly. So, yeah, and, and it opens with a woman dying in the forest, but you don't know which one of the characters it is. So that's the suspense element. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I know you can't give away too, too much about it because uh, obviously you want to spoil anything, but that, that definitely sounds like a juicy summer read. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. I, I hope it'll, you know, get into the hands of readers. It, last week, it was really cool. No, it was week before last. It was actually on the Today Show. Um, the, the great author, John Searles, uh, picked it as the summer, you know, thriller pick for the Today Show. So I was like, what? Because I found out literally the night before it aired. Um, right. Well, you know, I think Jenna Bush does a lot of the books on the on the Today Show. And if, if uh, you know, look at you, a Texas girl and, and you're a Texas woman and 
you know, there's there's a little connection. Maybe you should uh, see if you can get on Jenna's calendar. Who knows? That would be great. <laughs> um, well, you know, I always like to, to get to know my, my authors a little bit more. And one way I like to do that is through uh, pop culture. So I'm curious, uh, May, when you were a kid, um, I know what some of your favorite video games were because Legend of Zelda was on there. But what were some of your favorite TV shows when you were growing up? Gosh, TV shows. I mean, when I was really little, like The Love Boat and Fantasy Island. <laughs> I mean, TV was so limited those days, right? Um, it was limited. It was simple. I love both of those shows. Um, I started rewatching Love Boat during uh, the pandemic. Oh, wow. Um, and, uh, you know, I think you might question if it holds up. Um, yeah. It's definitely cheesy, but a nice walk down memory lane. Um, okay. You know, I it's a... Back in the day, I might have to rewatch it. Oh yeah, it's it's out there. It's on like MeTV or whatever that station is known known as. That maybe Freeform, but uh, it's out there. Doctor Bricker, uh, you know, wannabe ladies man. Um, I think he had a couple of Me Too moments in that show. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> Just a couple, yeah. <laughs> you know, we we know when I was a kid growing up in South Florida, me, um, my twin brother Jimmy, our our friend Mario, his brother Armando. And their cousin Christine used to play Love Boat. So, you know, Mario. Actually, let me ask you this. If if we were playing Love Boat, what character do you think I would be in Love Boat? Gosh, uh, the captain. I wish. No, Mario had to be the captain. Just like he had to be <laughs> Luke Skywalker when we played Star Wars. He had to be the star. My brother was the doctor. I was uh gopher. Oh wow. Gopher. Fred um Fred Granby, I think, is was the actor. Wound up being a senator in Iowa, I think. But um, yeah, I was uh, I was Gopher. So there you go. You'd be Julie McCoy, without a doubt. Thank you. <laughs> right or Vicky, but you don't want to be Vicky because she was kind of whiny. Yes, she was very whiny. Yeah. <laughs> she was kind of oh whiny. God, you're making me want to go back and watch it. I want to watch that and and also Little House on the Prairie because I, I loved that too. But I don't know that that really holds up at all. Yeah, I think it might. I think it might. It's kind of a timeless story. Um, and Michael Landon playing a fiddle while smoking a pipe is... <laughs> there's no better way to end an episode than Paul playing the fiddle in the kitchen. <laughs> you know, that's what I like to say anyway. Um, how about uh, kind of pivoting from uh, TV to music? Um, I know you were you're digging some jazz back in the college days, but what, what kind of music were you listening to when you were growing up? I mean, I really like, you know, break dancing was a thing in the fourth grade. So the early rap was really big for me. <laughs> and um, Who, like, like Houdini and um, Sugar Hill well, Gang or like. Even like I not I wasn't that cool. It was more like, a, gosh, like the the soundtrack from Breakin'. Oh, my gosh. Breakin'. Yeah. What a, with Ozone and Turbo. Yeah. You, know, you didn't know what you were getting involved in when you signed up for this interview. <laughs> I didn't think we'd be talking about Breakin. I love it. <laughs> it happens. It happens. Oh, I love that movie, Breakin. And then there was Breakin 2, Electric Boogaloo. Exactly. You know, exactly. Not, not a terrible sequel. Not terrible at all. And I loved, I loved Michael Jackson. And then later I really got into like YouTube and then like, you know, the new wave music, like New Order, Duran Duran, Depeche Mode, that kind of stuff, because it was cool in high school. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. I love, I mean, you too, uh, to this day, one of my favorite bands, you know, probably the band I've seen most live uh, out of all the concerts I've been to. Um, me too, yeah. At, at least 10 shows. Um, oh, wow. 
such a great, I saw it three times in one summer. I just, uh, during the Octung baby, uh, years, um, yeah. you know, when I was, uh, kind of really coming into my own, but, um, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Um, how about this? Um, kind of transitioning to writing, of course. Um, in what ways, if any, has do you consider writing to be therapeutic for you? Um, I think as a, a person that went through the pandemic, it was an escape hatch from the awful reality. So that's therapeutic um, in and of itself. And I think just even when that big world event's not happening, it's a nice escape from reality. I really like having a story in my mind's going that I can dip into and think about and not think about bills and other things and um, life. So, yeah. You know, you can create that world where the pandemic doesn't exist um, and escape into it. You know, um, I, I feel the same way. I wrote two, uh, I finished one novel and wrote another during the pandemic. And yeah, that's amazing. Um, yeah, and it, it's just a great way of, of because we couldn't do much. Um, you're, you're filled with emotion, but you can channel that into something, you know, creative. Um, and you can kind of deal with, with your anxiety about the world that way. And I, I just love kind of that aspect of writing is kind of creating the world, have it because we have so little control over over our own lives, um, for the most part, we certainly had no control over the pandemic and lockdowns. Um, yeah. we have complete control over these worlds that we create. Um, you know, that, that hopefully our readers appreciate, uh, I'm sure yeah. yours do. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I feel the same way, but, uh, a great way to kind of get through the pandemic. Yes, for sure. I can't believe you wrote two. That's amazing. I was well, I, I finished one. I had finished one in the very early part. And then I started another, which I probably wouldn't have done had it not been for the pandemic. Yeah. Um, great though. So, yeah. Well, that's thank you. Better than baking the sourdough bread, which if well, you did that power to you, but I was just always like, I can't even go there guys. Really? We, we had my, my wife's a baker. Um, we had more deliveries from King Arthur flour coming to our house. <laughs> during that period of time. Um, you know, I can't even look at sourdough bread anymore or um, she got into making cakes from scratch. And I was always a box, you know, Duncan Hines guy. And yeah. they really are better made from scratch, but now I can't look at cake anymore. Um, it's, no, it's like, yeah, it's crap. I can't look at dried beans anymore or, you know, the staples. I'm like, if it happens again, I don't know what I'll eat, but I can't eat that anymore. No, definitely not. Um, moving on to number four, um, how do you feel when you're staring at a, a blank sheet of paper or a computer screen and, and your, your goal is to write something, the page is blank in front of you, what emotions do you experience? Definitely fear and stage fright and also imposter syndrome. Those are the, the biggest ones. You know, imposter syndrome is, it's just one of those things. You know, I, I talk to authors who have been New York Times bestsellers, USA Today bestsellers, you know, have written 40 plus books, but they say the same thing. Imposter syndrome is like a real thing. Um, I mean, I personally feel it as well, but how does, how does it manifest itself in your life? I can just drag my feet in the beginning of a draft and tell myself that, okay, the world's about to find out that I really don't know what I'm doing, that I've had a little bit of luck. And now, now the gig is up. Um, and then I quickly remind myself that there's bills to pay and childcare is about to be done for the day and I've got to get my butt to work. So 
I'm pretty good at getting, like, I don't let it rule anything, but it's definitely there. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But it's good that you, you have ways of, of getting over it. And those ways sound very practical. Um, yeah. <laughs> thinking yeah. back to, uh, you know, your first, um, your first book, uh, what, what lesson about writing or, or publishing do you feel like you learned the hard way? Oh, okay. Well, yeah. So my first novel, I had like, you know, three agents kind of fighting over it. And two of them said, this is the kind of book that's going to go to auction. And I guess the lesson I learned the hard way is that no, that's not going to happen with this one at all. In fact, I think it went out, it was like, it turned into like a, you know, four or five month submission and out of 33 publishers it went to, I think the 32nd said yes. And we never heard back from the 33rd. Wow. It wasn't some starry eyed, you know, rise to stardom that some debuts have by any means. It was, wow, that barely happens. And yeah. And it wasn't what sort of those first agents told me might happen, which I know you can't really ever predict that, but yeah, that was crazy. I think the big wow for me there is a debut novel having three agents fight over it. I mean, we shouldn't gloss over that because that's uh, that that's a pretty big win right there. Thank you, thank you. It was it was like a really heady week, and then it was like bam, reality. <laughs> <laughs> well, as they say, reality bites sometimes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> also, a great a great '90s movie with a very good soundtrack. Yeah. Um, and let's uh, speaking about the '90s. If we can go back to '95, um, to, to the young May hanging out at the record store buying that jazz album, and if you could whisper some words into her ear, some words of advice into her ear, what what kind of words of advice would you give your younger self? Uh, trust your instincts; they're right. No? Uh, don't don't doubt yourself. You're on the right path, and it's going to take a while to get there, but but you will. So stop torturing yourself. You're doing what you're supposed to do. <laughs> do you feel like you were torturing yourself back then? Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, it's like you step outside of your house and everyone's like, oh, you can't be a writer. It's not a good career choice. So it's, you know, it's, it's hard not to internalize that, you know, that way of thinking. Yeah. Well, uh, the book is My Summer Darlings. Uh, the author is Meg Cobb. Uh, May, um, any social media or, or websites you want to share with listeners of Uncorking a Story? Yeah, my website just got a fresh um, remodel and it's www.maycobb.com. And then I'm on Instagram probably the most. And it's um, it's at May underscore Cobb, M-A-Y underscore C-O-B-B. Very good. I will put all that in the show notes for everybody. You can just look it up um, in, the, in the show notes. So you don't have to worry about writing it down, listeners. Uh, it'll be there for you um, when you need it. So May, uh, this has been a very fun conversation, um, and uh, I wish you all the back with uh, all the best with with the new book. Thank you, Mike. And now I've got to go watch the Love Boat. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to Uncorking a Story. If you'd like more information about today's guest or to find out more about Mike, go to uncorkingastory.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in every week to hear Mike Carlin uncork a new story.